I'm Carrie Dozer, and this is TGen Talks. Today on the show, how much longer will we be dealing with COVID-19? Do we really know where COVID came from? And will we need vaccinations against COVID for years to come? We travel to Flagstaff on the show today to TGen North to find answers. And welcome to TGen Talks. I'm Carrie Dozer, your host, and I'm here with Dr. David Engelthaler. He's the Director of Pathogen and Microbiome Division, more commonly known as TGen North. Dr. Engelthaler, thanks for joining me. Carrie, it's great to be here. It has been about 18 months since the first reported case of COVID-19 in the United States. If COVID-19 were a book with 40 chapters, what chapter are we in now in June, July of 2021? Uh, that's a great question. In 18 months, it does seem like 18 years in some regards. This has been such a an, a, an amazing uh, phenomenon that's occurred uh, and obviously devastating. Uh, and, and we've learned a lot and we've gone through a lot. And we definitely are in the, the tail end of this pandemic, especially for our country. Now, the pandemic as a whole, which is really a global phenomenon, uh, is not going away anytime soon. So many uh, of the countries around the world are really just getting started with vaccinations, and it's going to take a while to get to the place that the U.S. is in. But in the U.S., we are really on the, the tail end of this pandemic. Does the book have an ending? Also a great question. I think it probably is going to have a, a maybe a, a trilogy uh, or, or there'll be a series of books, uh, the, meaning that the virus isn't going to completely go away. We don't think it will. We do think it's become endemic um, within the human population, which somewhat adapted to us and is easily spread. We don't think it's going to go away just because we have high vaccination rates, uh, because it is very effective at finding the next susceptible person. And we think that'll happen at least for the next couple of years. Plenty of theories out there about where COVID-19 began. Um, was it created in a lab? Did it occur in nature? How much do we know about that answer right now? And how much may we never know? Yeah, th there's um, still a lot of confusion around that. And that's because there's been a real lack of information uh, you know, this, this absolutely started in China. We know that. The virus itself is clearly related to other SARS-like viruses that come out of bats. Uh, but that's pretty much the end of where we know. We don't know, uh, did the first human case really have contact with a bat or some other animal uh, in, that, that the virus went through? Or was the virus actually captured at one point and in, in studied in the laboratory? One thing we can say, this was not created out of whole cloth. It was not invented. Uh, it doesn't appear to be a bioweapon or anything like that. But there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that would suggest that the virus may have actually been in a laboratory at some point and then accidentally escaped. Some of that circumstantial evidence is, well, the virus first showed up in a city where there was a laboratory that was studying these viruses specifically. One of the only laboratories in the world, um, by the way, was right there. So there's really strong circumstantial evidence. Uh, some other evidence is that we haven't found a direct connection between the virus that we have and circulating viruses uh, in nature. So we haven't found the, the primary host. Uh, so it's not obvious or necessarily easy for humans to have been exposed to that. Um, th there's a number of other lines of evidence, but they're all circumstantial at this point. So we may never know. Does it matter 
where it came from and does it matter how it reached humans? Yeah, I, I, I love that question because it's, it's like, okay, well, we had the pandemic, so what does it matter? Well, let's just say, for instance, that there was an accidental lab escape. What does that mean? Well, one, we got to make sure that never happens again. We had to figure out if that was the case, how did that happen? How could that be prevented? Uh, and so that, that's really important to know. Also, it's important to know, does, do these viruses, are we constantly at risk that they're going to just show up out of nature? Or is it really because of all the science that we're doing now by studying these things at the lab that's putting us at risk? Those things we really do need to know. The other parts, like who's to blame and, and all of that, that's, you know, that's political discussions and not as important in the scientific realm. Uh, but there's still a lot to learn about this if we know where it started from. On the website, TGen has a new thing called a COVID dashboard. What is it? What information can I find there? And what are you guys putting into it every day? Yeah, the, the COVID sequencing dashboard is essentially a dashboard we built for the state of Arizona that tracks the virus and all the variants of the virus um, over time uh, through, throughout the, at least the remaining months of this pandemic. Uh, we're, we're looking like when did the first UK variant show up? How about this Delta variant that originated out of India? We can actually show exactly what's happening in Arizona on this dashboard. It's pretty easy to use and look at. Uh, and, and for most people, it's just of general interest. We hear about these variants, what's going on in our own neighborhood. Uh, but it's also being used by uh, health departments and, and health officials to understand uh, what is the variants that we have to deal with right now? What are my patients going to be seeing? What is the these communities uh, experiencing right now? I'm here with Dr. David Engelthaler at TGen North talking about the progression of COVID-19, where we are in our battle with it. What's the future of the vaccine? How long will we be giving the vaccines that we have now and how soon will they have to change? Yeah, there's a lot in there. And you're absolutely right, Carrie, is that these vaccines came out really fast and they're incredibly effective. And for now, it looks like the vaccines cover the variants that are out there, which is great news. Some maybe um, some variants might escape some antibodies, but overall, the, the vaccines look like they're, they work and they're going to continue to work. So we have to continue to watch the variants and see if new mutations occur that allow the virus to escape these vaccines. But for now... Uh, they're providing a tremendous amount of immunity. They've essentially made the pandemic really go away in the U.S. We still have the virus, but we have a lot of other viruses, a lot of other diseases um, that, that we have to deal with. Uh, but the vaccines are the one thing that really brought the, the pandemic to its knees. Um, and, and then moving forward, it looks like since the virus isn't going to go away right away, we may need boosters from these vaccines uh, because the virus continues to mutate, uh, as we were just talking about with these different variants, uh, we might need boosters to essentially effectively respond to, to the new variants of the virus, much like we do with influenza uh, every couple of years. Uh, so I, I think these vaccines are going to be around for a while because the virus is going to be around for a while. TGen houses a lot of data. You take in information from all counties and probably from other, other states as well. What does the information that you have compiled tell you about how quickly the virus will continue to change and how well we are doing at staying on top of it? One of the things that um, has happened during this pandemic is that we've really been able to pull a lot of this next generation science uh, into an emergency response and use it and, and really start to what I've been calling generate pathogen intelligence. We're getting intel 
on the the virus by doing the sequencing of it by looking at the genetic code by understanding all those different changes so yeah we generate a ton of information but this is really what we're doing now with 21st century science is we're digitizing the natural world so we're turning it into data so then we can analyze it and share it and we can and we constantly are looking at data from around the world because we're all generating this type of data and and we can uh, easily share it with each other so that is something that we've got to not only close out this pandemic with, but parlay it into all the other infectious diseases that we work with, develop intel on all those pathogens. We can better track then the most important variants that are out there of the different um, other viruses and bacteria that are really plaguing our hospitals, but also our communities in other ways that in a way that we haven't been looking at before. So I'm really excited that we're actually uh, advancing the state of both clinical medicine and public health by using these technologies right now. Most Americans will look back on, let's say, Americans uh, travel in space. We landed on the moon, and 40 years later, we are circling the Earth. We're collecting data from asteroids. In other words, the progress has been light speed. Can you characterize in the last 10 years how genomics has advanced and and really the, the speed with which you guys are doing things quicker, faster, better to give people a little hope about what might happen next time. <laughs> yeah. The, well, there's a couple of things. And you, you mentioned, um, you know, going to the moon. The, the whole idea of a moonshot is where you get a lot of your intellectual capacity and, and other resources really focused singularly on a goal. That happened during this pandemic one with the vaccines and that's part of how we were able to get this out besides the fact that you know the u.s really led the way with funding and de-risking uh allowing for manufacturing to occur at the same time so we get really rapid distribution all of that but another area where this was was in genomics now we are sequencing this one virus like we've never done before and we didn't realize we could so by everybody focused on that and by TGen putting a ton of energy into this, we've really increased our ability to do this faster and cheaper, as you're saying. You know, 10 years ago when we were sequencing, you know, a sequencing one individual, uh, even just an individual virus would have cost us hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Now we've now pushed that down below $100. We're aiming and, and gearing to get us to like a, the $25 genome. That means by sequencing, um, that will be as expensive as any other test we run in a hospital now. So that would just revolutionize how we can um, actually think about practicing medicine and public health. We get precision medicine and precision epidemiology in a way that um, we couldn't even think about 10 years ago. We are, um, instead of just counting cases, because the tests that we have are really good at saying, yes, this is a case, it doesn't tell you anything else. But by sequencing, we learn all the secrets of that virus, uh, and we understand who's related to who, and we get all of this intel. So uh, instead of just sequencing, let us really get the information we need to jump ahead of these outbreaks as soon as we can and treat every patient for the disease that they have, not the type of disease that they have. What is next? What is the next COVID-19? For people who are weary of this one and can't wait to close the book on it, What's next? Will there be a next? And if so, do we have any idea how soon? Well, undoubtedly, there'll be a next. Uh, we've had pandemics and we continually have outbreaks. 
uh, disease outbreaks, and some of them are very small and people don't know about them because they, they went away quickly or they were in some part of the world that didn't catch the news attention. You know, before this pandemic, there was the really massive Ebola outbreak that was in Western Africa for the first time in very large cities, causing tens of thousands of cases. A really big deal. The world was focused on that and seeing, is this going to explode out of the African continent and cause problems? We had the original SARS outbreak that actually did become a pandemic and showed up all around the world, but it quickly um, went away. So thankfully that virus didn't last very long. Um, th these things do t continue to come out of nature. I gotta say, they also come out of our labs. We study these things. We've had accidental uh, lab escapes before um, and, and they've caused real problems. And sometimes, thankfully, they, they were small, but in other cases, you know, we've had to deal with outbreaks that we didn't know originally came out of labs. And it was only because we're trying to improve our, our knowledge or we're trying to develop a vaccine. Uh, but it's, it's an area that the more we use science to investigate these very dangerous pathogens, we got to put a lot of energy in making sure we're doing that safely while we're learning information. At the same time, Mother Nature, you know, is out there in many cases trying to kill us. There are, there are really bad things out there. And the more we interact with Mother Nature, uh, maybe it's uh, from growth in, in um, our, our development moving into you know, parts of the, the world, maybe it would, it's in rainforests or in other places where we're getting exposed to bugs we weren't exposed to before. And then all of a sudden we have a, a new infectious disease. Uh, so we gotta continue to have this global effort to, to develop pathogen intel so that we understand what's in mother nature, what's in our labs, and what can we do to be ready for the next one. So TGen North is a lab that's been studying it now for 18 months, and it's been obviously the bulk of what you've been doing here. What would you tell people listening about the staff you have here what they've accomplished in the last 18 months and what it's like to be on the forefront of this kind of research. Yeah, it's really been absolutely the, the honor of my career is to work with this group here during this time. Um, I, we have big letters up on our wall here that say, we have the ability, therefore we have the responsibility. And that's been our ethos for a long time, that we have this ability to use this really advanced science and technology to make a difference in the world. Therefore, we have the responsibility to do that. When this pandemic first occurred, there was no more glaringly obvious way for us to, to use this technology. And, and so we did and we jumped in. We kind of have this moniker of being genomic first responders. And, and that's... I, that is a real thing because the way that we use the science and technology, uh, we're really agile at it and we could just shift all of our focus to responding singularly to this one problem. And that's what everybody did here. That's not what they signed up for. They didn't come here to be emergency responders or, or whatnot. These were scientists and researchers really trying to understand uh, infectious diseases and hoping that maybe one day we can come up with a new diagnostic test that makes a difference or maybe a new drug. Here we could do all of that in very short order and make a big impact. Uh, it was a lot of work um, and, and it, it was an amazing time where um, even though it was very devastating for the community, I think a lot of people here felt a sense of pride that they could do something about it. Yeah, that must be really rewarding. Dr. Engelfaller, thanks for taking the time today. You bet, Carrie. Great to be here. And thank you for listening to TGen Talks. For more, go to tgen.org slash tgentalks. TGen is an affiliate of City of Hope. For TGen Talks, I'm Carrie Dozer.